Hello and welcome to another episode of the Backcheck the Hockey History Podcast where we uh, examine the cases for various players for the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. Over there is Bill. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, thanks. And today we have an episode, a kind of miscellaneous episode, because we were trying to figure out who to pair with Joe Sackick, who is our first member of the class of, I think, 2012. And we were struggling to find anyone at all because he has had such a long, illustrious career. In fact, if you look up his similarity scores on Hockey Reference, they're all all Hall of Famers or Joe Thornton. So basically, like, we can't, we couldn't find anyone. So instead, (laughs) we've picked... For our eligible player, Bernie Nichols, who had one of the all-time great offensive seasons in the history of the NHL, and then a career, uh, <laughs> a good g- g- career, but otherwise um, uh, nothing like that. And then uh, nothing like Sackix. And then we picked a winger. We couldn't find a, a center. Um, we're still going through play old-timers who were born in uh, the 19th century, and we couldn't find a center who we hadn't yet talked about from then who was as dominant as Sackix. So we've gone with a left winger. Um, Cy Identity, one of the more dominant players in the night, perhaps in, in some ways, one of the most dominant players in the 1920s. Um, so we've got Bernie Nichols, Joe Sack, and Cy Identity. There's very little linking any of them to each other. This doesn't really have a theme, but it's, it's what we came up with. Uh, <laughs> sorry, you sounded like you were going to say something. No, 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 I'm good. <laughs> All right. Uh, so to start off, our eligible player is Bernie Nichols, um, and I just before we talk about him, I just want to um, say that I used to listen to uh, sports radio, sports talk radio, a lot when I was uh, younger. Me and, too. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I remember one of the the things that convinced me I shouldn't listen anymore, and that was I was listening to a, a call in hour of. Um, primetime sports which is the big talk radio show sports talk radio show in toronto um and they used to do a call an hour the host has actually gotten so fed up with the callers that i believe he he got in his contract that he never has to do call-in shows ever again um he was limiting it i don't know i haven't listened in years but like when i was still listening he was like he was negotiating it down the number of hours he had to handle people's calls so i'm listening one day at work um while I was, I had a brainless job that I could listen to the radio and someone calls in and, and it's about a hall of fame conversation. And he says something to the effect of how the hell is Bernie Nichols not in the hall of fame? He's like third all time in points per game. And I, and like (laughs) the host, the host didn't have the host just uh, muttered stuff about Bernie Nichols, but didn't just outright say what? (laughs) <laughs> and I, I was like, that sounds really wrong to me. And I, sure enough, eventually I was, you know, I, uh, I was, my job, it was a computer that you, you couldn't access uh, outside work sites. And if you could, they would like fire you. Um, but they, you couldn't, you were basically prevented from using the internet. So I couldn't look it up. But later on, I looked it up and sure enough, the guy was completely wrong. But it was yeah. like what it was discouraged. I was just like, I can't listen to these shows anymore because people call in. They say like whatever. Like this guy apparently didn't have the internet. Instead of calling <laughs> the radio show, he could have typed in, you know, yeah. all time NHL points per game. Of course, and discovered that this was not true. But no, he believed it too much to like bother <laughs> doing that. And I was just like so pissed off about it. And for some reason, <laughs> it still sticks in my head. Bernie Nichols is a point per game player. Uh, However, he is not 
third all time in points per game. No, he is not. <laughs> Which is like just absurd. Um, I think Mike Bossy. Third, but it be, would it be Gordy Howe now? Uh, it might be Mike Bossy. Or uh, maybe uh, Mark Messier, maybe? Oh, no, no. Messier played way too long. Um, points oh, per, that's I'm, right, I'll that's tell you. Points per game. Yeah, so so this is how far off the guy was. Bernie Nichols is 31st all time, not third, 31st. So take that old man who called into a radio show 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> Mike Bossy is third. So it's, uh, in case you're curious, it's Gretzky, Lemieux, Bossy, or Dion, Crosby's sixth. Wow. Stasny's seventh. So almost all of those people played in the same era. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and like that excludes people like New Zealand alone, who would be number one or close to it, be, but he played for like 80 games. So, you know, he's excluded. <laughs> anyway, that's my Bernie Nichols antidote. So I've always had like some weird like gripe against his Hall of Fame case af after that, because I was like, that old guy knows nothing about this. Why didn't you just Google it before you made a fool of yourself? So you're a little, uh, a little bitter about it. <laughs> A little biased, at least. Yeah, well, it just I guess it was just, you know, it was another nail in the coffin of, like, listening to people call in. And, like, in this day and age, when you all you need to do is, like, spend five seconds verifying something. But, no, you yeah. just believe it. And it's just, it's just, it makes me sad. Anyway. Maybe somebody told something and told them that in a bar, and that's the things that you should believe. I, I suspect that is what happened, is, like, a friend said it to him, and he was like, my friend wouldn't make that up. Anyway. <laughs> Um, enough about sports call-in shows. Uh, so, um, Bernie Nichols is over a point-per-game player, 1.07, I believe. Um, but, of course, he played from 1981 to 99, and a huge chunk of that time, the scoring was out of control. Yes. But anyway, it's 1,200 points in, in just over 1,100 games. It was very good. However, good. he is he is a minus 39. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, we like to talk about drafts and he was drafted 73rd overall, which is quite low. Uh, I believe third okay. round, but at that point, yeah, uh, no round four back then. Fourth round. Out. Sorry. Yeah. Fourth round, um, in, uh, 1980. And, uh, and this is a draft that, uh, produced, um, a fair number of good players. Uh, a, a handful of hall of famers. Uh, yes. Uh, Larry Murphy, Paul Coffey, Denny Savard, um, yeah. and lots of other good players. Like there's like 10, 10 or eleven players who managed a uh, thousand games. This this entire this entire draft looking at it is just very upsetting as a Canucks fan. Um. <laughs> oh, I didn't I didn't look at the order. Who did no, you, no, no, what no, pick did you have? Montreal had the first pick, and they took Doug Wickenheiser. Yeah. Instead of Denny Savard, and then use Chelios to rectify their mistake in not selecting Denny Savard. Which, yeah, yeah. Um, but that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, yeah the, the Vancouver ones were well. The, the Bruins took Barry Peterson at eighteen, who eventually was traded for Cam Neely, who we gave away. So we gave yeah. away a Hall of Famer for Barry Peterson. It was you know a good player, but yeah, but not Cam Neely exactly. And then uh, and then Yari Curry was taken one pick before Vancouver selected uh, Mark Crawford. Oh, our, our, he eventually became our coach. So I guess we were yeah, just yeah. investing long term. But uh, <laughs> I, I see what you're <laughs> saying. So notable player, and the then Bernie Nichols is Bernie Nichols is four picks after uh, Yerry Curry. So so you picked you picked Doug Lidster is your your the, your draft leader in 897 games played. Oh, yeah, but I like you, Doug Lidster. He's good. <laughs> and then you have Patrick Sundstrom, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's 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 your draft, basically. Wow. Yeah, that's a rough one. Well, yeah. to be fair, we didn't have it. If, if we were going to take him in round four, the Oilers beat us to it by one pick. But I suspect yeah. we were not going to take Gary Curry, and we had already made our decision to select Mark Crawford. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's – but it was a good draft. I mean, you got, like, six players with a 1,000 career goalies. points. Yeah, Andy Moog uh, was in that draft. Um, Kelly Rudy. Kelly Rudy was in that draft. Hawken Lube, not a goalie, but a great player. Um, for the very brief time he came and started on the Flames, and then yeah. was like, I'm going home, bye. Mike bye. Bullard, another player who didn't play that long but scored lots. Uh-huh. Um, one of the Sutters. Steve Larmer. Oh, yeah, Steve Larmer's a great player. Yeah. Lots of like it's a good draft. Yeah, Dave Babbage I mean, number two overall. Woo! <laughs> once once again, got a soft spot for Dave Babbage. Yeah, once again though, they were all over the place in terms of like scouting because like yeah. if you go by points, it's sixth overall, 69th overall, third overall, fourth overall, seventy third overall, which is Bernie Nichols, hundred twentieth, seventeenth, second, ninth, eighteenth, hundred twenty eighth. Well, you have to imagine in those days if you you know there was like. You know, nowadays you, you can pretty much scout from your couch just by watching yeah. all the video that's available. I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Physically drive to every single rink that the kids played in. Um, figure that and out. Nobody could have known Yari Curry, right? Like, wow, of course not. You yeah. possibly known that, right? Yeah. Only it is interesting that the best American in the draft. So this is 1980, and they still weren't. You know, Americans were still not necessarily considered as good. The best American is Brian Mullen. Wow. Um, at least by total points. I don't know if there's another American there with uh, uh, with better points per game. You can't really sort by that, but yeah. it's just... It's, there's another interesting thing, too, about the draft. <clears throat> uh, it's a product of its time, right? And the first round, there's only one American chosen and everyone else is Canadian. Yeah. Like it's it, it was that that kind of thing where you didn't take the Europeans until way way later, yeah, yeah. And including a guy who never played a single game in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Yep. In Jim Malone, a center from Chatham. Oh my God! I, I just I just scrolled through just to see, and um, I'm using the Wikipedia version, which has a little yeah. bit more detail than the Hockey DB version of uh, draft. Okay. For anybody else who likes to scroll through them and see interesting things about draft. Give them a little pro tip there that there's a little more detail in the Wikipedia version. Yeah, it's, it's like three or four American, uh, three American through two rounds. Everybody else is Canadian. We're up to five Americans after round three, and then in round four, we get uh, four, five more Americans, and the first European taken of that draft, Yari Curry at sixty. <laughs> The first European taken with 69 picks in. That is crazy. Yeah, that's bonkers. Things <laughs> the have world changed. sure has changed in the last 40 years. Eh? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so uh, Nichols scored 1,200 points, which is a lot. It's not enough to be top 25, but it's a lot. Um, oh, Riley, I have to mention, we forgot one player right after Steve Larmer. Four picks later, oh. Mike, Mike McPhee. We don't mention Mike McPhee. It's not a good podcast because that guy was right. awesome. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, uh, Bernie Nichols has a pretty impressive like overall points, right? He's got nearly 500 goals. He's got over 700 assists. He's got 1,200 points. Sounds really good. Mm-hmm. However, if you do his era, thousand games between 81 and 99, he is 12th in goals. 
he is 11th in points. He's 14th in assists. Somehow, <laughs> 700 assists, and you're 14th in assists in wow. that span. Um, 20th in point shares, uh, 13th in offensive point shares, which is a little better, but 20th in point shares. So by that metric, 20th best player to play at least 1,000 games in that 18-year period. Mm-hmm. So that just goes to show you how inflated everything was because yeah. this guy was scoring over a point per game. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, more assists than goals by not quite two to one, but getting close to it. Um, but, like, so 88, you know, 88 points every 82 games. And uh, we do his peak and his peak from, uh, from uh, 88 to 90, 87 to 90, rather, which is when he was playing with Gretzky, I should point out. Uh, 124 points a season. Yeah. Which is batshit crazy. Um, but for that era, was a pretty sort of normal type of, you know. Yeah. I mean, lots of guys put up 120 points back then. Yeah. I mean, I I remember, like, I was, you know, just really starting to pay attention to hockey, um, you know, from, like, 89 onwards. And, you know, yeah. watching, like, that, that year where Mario Lemieux had uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma and missed most of the season. Yeah. And then tried to track down Pat Lafontaine, and he was, he was like thirty points clear of me. I had like one hundred and twenty points already, and like by the time Lemieux came back, you're like, there's no way he's going to catch him. And then of course Mario does Mario things, but I think he finished like yeah. one hundred and fifty points that year. You're like, how did he do that? Like, how yeah. can you have that many points? And it's just the goalies hadn't quite caught up how good the the um, the forwards were, and the coaching hadn't figured out. Yeah. Uh, you know things like the trap ways of just holding a essentially lead. system systematic defense, right? Like exactly, it was yeah. like they were playing essentially one on one, I believe, yeah. right? Exactly. And then you know, then some European coaches over in uh, I believe it was uh, the Czechs, the Czechs of the Swedes who started it, but they started using the trap. And yeah. you know, it basically was just like uh, if we all just you know clog the front of the net, keep everything to the corners. Yeah, they're going to have the puck a lot, but they're not going to be able to get it through very often, and you'll yeah. see how it works. And then, you know, of course, the clog in the middle of the ice feature as well, and you were allowed a lot more sort of uh, – they eventually started allowing a lot more interference back then. Yeah. But it worked in that way for them. Yeah. Um, but before that, it was very wide open. Like you would have – kind of like it is today when you get four-on-four, four, where it's just like you're going to get some two-on-ones and three-on-twos, like pretty much every rush. Like – a lot, a lot of hockey back then, I feel, was just like if your team was re- like to be good defensively, you put your head down and back check like a maniac to try to get back into play and keep it from being an odd man rush. It's basically yeah, yeah. how to be a good defensive player. Whereas nowadays, yeah. it's like you've got a million different things. Am I supposed to be here? I got to make sure I take away the point. Got to get my yeah. stick in that lane. Like they're doing, a, like, they're so yeah. well coached and there's so much attention to detail. And back then, it was like, well, you know, skate, skate harder. Unless yeah, that guy's yeah. sick or, you know, yeah. pushing down or whatever you're Get allowed in to the way. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they didn't, yeah. they didn't block nearly as many shots back then. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it was, it's been such a big change that I think anybody who has grown up since it that era ended, like I, you know, I, I didn't start watching as early as you did, but I did start watching at the tail end of the wide open era. And like, I know that when I first started watching again in the late nineties after my self imposed exile, um, I, uh, you know, it was a, it was almost like a different sport in some way. Yeah. And, and like, I don't remember the early days that much anymore. Cause I was so young when I was watching it and I didn't mm-hmm. watch it for very long, only a couple seasons, but like, um, yeah, it really did. It changed so much. And I think people who grew up with either, you know, 
the version of the league now or or even in the dead puck era and don't remember that that wide open era i mean the only way you can really recapture is by watching video on like youtube or whatever but like Mm -hmm. it is just it's it's so different and it's and when you go back and look at the numbers as we're going to talk about later when we get to uh his bernie nichols big year um it's just like it's just crazy what the like you said about lemieux it's just crazy some of the things that were done Mm -hmm. um you know and and we'll probably never we'll never probably never see again just because like you said the standards especially in terms of coaching are just so much higher absolutely yeah. and also we can't forget also everybody is like trained now you know yeah everybody's trained like not mm-hmm. just in terms of coaching but in terms of like like health and and uh exercise and like you know everybody everybody works all the time and like there used to be a time when guys especially like guys who only played so often you know not in, not in great shape yeah oh yeah, yeah. They, they worked their way into shape as the season went along pretty yeah. much um yeah, it was a, it was just it was just a wildly different game than it is nowadays yeah. um you know like if you were a fast skater back then you were gonna get chances like just, you would yeah. have eight people now every like skating and defensive play are so prized nowadays, and that's that's a big change that's come in hockey in the last decade, where being defensively responsible, even if you're if you're a purely offensive player, like there will be guys you're like I'm pretty sure that guy could score twenty or thirty goals in the NHL, but he's a liability defensively. We don't want him. Like we won't play him in the yeah. NHL. It's like, yeah. In the old days, that that guy would just be like, "You can score thirty goals. Welcome to the NHL, kid. Yeah, Try yeah. not to get burned too much." And but it doesn't yeah. happen that way anymore. You know, every goal it seems like is contested. Um, yeah, so much more contested than it used to be. You know, yeah. um, even for a regular season game between two teams who aren't going to the playoffs, it's just just the way the league has turned. You know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, to bring it back to Nichols, I I did want to say. Um, one thing before we we move on to uh, the trades is that you know it's fairly common for it's f- more than fairly common. The majority of NHL players score less in the playoffs on a per game basis than they do in the regular season. Yeah, and Nichols did, but he's almost a point a game player in the playoffs, which is I feel like as I said, I feel like either last episode or the previous episode, I have never sat down and like looked at the discrepancy between this, but uh-huh. I feel like he's fairly high up in that. Like he's, he's literally like 114 points in 118 games. So he's almost, he's at like 99, you know, 0.99 PPG or whatever. That's and, and, uh, or, or 98 or whatever it would be. Yeah. Um, cool. Whereas like a lot of people who scored like 1.07 points, points per game in regular season would be much lower, like 0.8 or whatever in the playoffs. Yeah. So that's to his credit, I think, for sure. I, I would agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, as as you would, no one's surprised, hockey references era adjustment hurts him. It knocks 10 points off his uh, per season average mm-hmm. from 88 to 78. So almost a point a game player when you're just for era, but, um, you know, not over a point a game. So that's... uh. Um, that's worth noting. Uh, he was part of three trades. Um, they are, uh, it was, and all of them happened, um, when he was older. So he was like, I think he was 29 or 30 before the first trade. Like he was on the Lakers for the majority of his career. And then he 
<laughs> Sorry, twenty eight. So um, you know he's getting he's getting that point where like. Do you do you mean Kings? Yeah. Did I say Lakers? You did. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a lack. I saw a lack in my brain. Was like clearly that's the Lakers. Uh, Jesus, I watch too much basketball. Yes, you do. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So uh, the first one, he was traded to the Rangers for Thomas Sandstrom and Tony Granato. And Thomas Sandstrom which, had some fine seasons himself, uh, must be noted yeah. as well. Nothing nothing remotely like Bernie Nichols' 150-point season. But, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, but, I mean, the league was also changing. But, like, those those are both, like, Thomas Sandstrom was a first-line player for the Kings, right, for a little yeah. while. And Tony Granato was top six for them, I feel like. Maybe top maybe nine. Top, top I don't remember being a particularly wonderful player. Just yeah, yeah. But I feel like he scored a little bit. Solid for in each other. Yeah, yeah. He was okay. So. <laughs> Not as good as Cammy. <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> true. He's been my favorite joke when he was the coach of Colorado. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, too. Awesome. Um. So uh, yeah, so he was uh, he was traded to the Rangers um, as part of the Rangers sort of trying to accumulate all sorts of talent in the early nineties, um, and then the Rangers traded him as uh, really. So I don't know what do you feel about the Sandstrom Granado Nichols deal? It seems reasonable, right? It seems reasonable. It seems like a trade that you would have made in those days. Maybe it's the roster shakeup. Maybe it's this guy's not working out, or he's getting older, or we're you know we want to. Like Nichols was definitely older than Sandstrom at that point. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So I think it's like a, a getting younger trade, but you get Granado as well, and you add a lot of depth to your team probably. Yeah, and I think yeah. back in those days, a lot of teams, if you were top heavy, you'd ha you'd have a guy scoring you know a hundred and something points, but everybody's yeah. top line sort of score a lot of points. So you're like, yeah, yeah. Their second line's getting seventy or eighty points. But like, well, our second line's getting forty because none of them are good. Like we got to sort of diversify or line up a little bit. I think a lot of teams made trades like that back then. Yeah. Whereas nowadays you can find, you can find a third or fourth line guy, you know, from Europe or from the minors or, you know, on waivers. Like it, it I think it's changed a lot. I think the, the overall quality of the average hockey player has gone up so much. Yes. That a third or fourth liner doesn't carry the same value that they used to. But here's the other thing is that, and, and I'm sorry to sound like, well, I, I, I'm going to sound like one of these people, but like, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if like some old school guys on New York looked at that 150 and 112 points two seasons in a row and were like, just blinders on. Yeah. He, he's a hundred point player. Yeah. Pretending his center isn't Wayne Gretzky and just <laughs> like, hey, Bernie Nichols. Like we're, you know, we're going to give up our 24 year old, 25 year old, like, you know, um, emerging uh, a star for, I mean, obviously I think Nichols had the way better career than Sandstrom, but, uh, and so I think it, 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 trade makes sense, but like, I just, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in the organization was like just talking themselves into like, yeah. you know, what's Bernie Nichols hundred point player. Well, it's, without, it's, it's important to remember too, though, um, the way that the, and you know any any very any listener who's very very young will probably find this perplexing, but we didn't used to think of somebody's career being over when they were thirty or thirty one. We yeah, used yeah. to think of like like that veteran know how that veteran presence that guy who's been to the playoffs who's yeah, won yeah, 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 yeah. like so prized and so overvalued 
that you would trade some young kid. You're like, I don't know if he's going to make it in the NHL or like, ah, oh, he's, he's only been in the league for a year. What's he yeah. going to do? Like yeah. we need that guy who's been to the top of the mountain or at least has been through a few playoff series to know what the grind is like. Yeah. And like, it was a very veteran, very, very veteran heavy league. I yeah. feel like until the 2004 lockout. And then it started to change where the skating mattered so much more yeah. with the lack of, you know, legal obstruction. Now it was like, you're not allowed to hold the guy up. It's like, Oh, if I'm faster, I'm going to get way more chance. The speed came back into the game in a, in an, and then they took out the red line as well. Yeah. So it's like speed started to matter so much. And you're like, who's the, who's the faster skater, the younger guy. And yeah. it's like, if we just teach him not to be a moron defensively. We're going to want him over an older guy. Yeah. And so, you know, like there are certain veterans where you're just so good that you're still like a valuable commodity until the day you retire, mm -hmm. like a Lidstrom, like, uh, Steve Eiserman, uh, like Taves will probably be, there's not going to be that catastrophic drop off. Cause you're just, your hockey IQ is so high and you're such a consistent, good player. Yeah. But like the league in terms of like how young the average age of a player is, has must've changed by almost a decade. I would say even like it, it's mm -hmm. gotta be minimum five, six or seven years just in terms of, cause now you get to 35 and teams are like, ah, oh, guy's done. Well, I mean, Oh man. I believe uh, the like average peak for a forward in terms of offensive production, like, and I, I don't know if this is points per game or points per sixty minutes or or whatever it is, yeah. um, is is like twenty five. Yeah, I know. And for defensemen, it's like around thirty. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, yeah, well, the defensemen come into their prime a little later, but I yeah. mean, for the forwards, you want that quick young forward who's gonna yeah, dart in, dart out, score goals, and it's you know, I I I think. I'm trying to think of the perfect player to sort of illustrate that. And I always come back to Joe Juno. He came yeah. into the league. He was quick. Nobody had figured him out. He scored like so many points. Yeah. He had a hundred something point season once. Yeah. And then and like when he was very, very young. And then by the, by the time he was playing in Montreal towards the end of his career, he was a really good third line center. And you're like, how did that happen? And it's yeah. just like, you know, the league, the league figured him out or everyone else got faster. And he was no longer the fastest guy on the ice or yeah. he was in much better shape than everyone when he first started. And they all realized we should probably work out instead of drinking beer and smoking cigarettes all summer. Right, guys? We're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah we'll probably yeah. do that. <laughs> um, but like a vastly, like almost like two different leagues. It really is. Yeah. Um, from, so, from the 80s. And did I lose you? Incredible. No, yeah. no, I'm here. Okay. So. Um, and then, so about a year and a half after that trade for Sandstrom, uh, he was traded in uh, certainly a very, very big deal um, with guys, uh, Stephen Rice and Louis DeBrusque. <laughs> I, I don't remember Stephen Rice. Louis DeBrusque is a name that rings a bell. I remember Louis DeBrusque. Yeah, he's a, uh, for for Messier and yeah. future kit considerations who were Jeff Bukaboom and David Shaw. Gar uh, guarantee you, Bukaboom's the like future piece because they didn't want to pay him. Yeah. Bukaboom was a very good player. Um, um, so yeah. that's the Messier trade, of course, where uh, basically the last of the of the Oilers from their dynasty was moved. This to the Rangers again, and Nichols went to the Rangers. Um, or sorry, the the Oilers. I'm sorry, um, from the Rangers. And you know, of this course. Is you know, this is pissing me off, right? Like, all I'm thinking about is the 94 Cup and be like, we could have been playing against Bernie Nichols instead of Messi. That would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have a cup right now. <laughs> and, and of course, this was a year and a half later. So, you know, Nichols was still putting up, like, 
you know, basically a point per game, um, which he did uh, most of his, his time in. Yeah. It was over a point per game essentially in, uh, in New York. Um, and then he, by this point though, he was 30. Um, and, uh, you know, he would start his decline and, um, yeah. So he, you know, that was a huge, huge deal. I, I mean, three players, uh, the fact that like the, the fact that the Oilers gave up two other players in addition to Messier, that feels weird to me. Like, shouldn't it be Nichols, Rice, and DeBrusque for Messier? And no other future considerations. But remember, like, the reason Gretzky had been traded, too, was because the the Oilers' owner was just falling Mm. apart. Like, he Pocklington had financial problems that he had to keep dealing guys away. So I'm I'm guessing Messier still made a lot of money. And once they won that cup, he's like, well, uh, the rest of like that was kind of like because that ninety cup that they won, nobody expected them to win that, and they yeah, did. Yeah. Just like, wow, they're still even without Gretzky, they won one. Yeah. And then I think they started to sell off players, and so I think yeah. that's why Messi got dealt. I, I I can look it up, but I mean that would be my guess. Yeah. So then, lastly, um, about a year and a half after that, so this this period of like three years, Nichols was traded three times. It literally was three years because the first one was January 20th, 1990, and the third one was January 13th, 1993. Um, he was traded to New Jersey for Zidano Seiger or Seeger? Is it Seeger or Seiger? Um, I don't know. I, know. I have no idea how it's pronounced. Anyway. Oh, uh, Zidano, I think, I think it was Seeger. Seeger. Zidano Seeger and Kevin Todd, which I want to say like oof, but I don't know anything about kevin todd um and actually uh zidano sigur had um one very good season for the oilers so and bernie nichols at this point was like 32 so um his career was winding down though he did play another six years but he you know his his role was um diminishing uh, like the, we don't have ice time, of course, we don't know for sure. But he definitely, like, if yeah. you look at his um, on New Jersey, he was becoming like a a little less. Um, you know, he scored like point eight seven per game one part of the season, and then point seven five the next. Though when he went to Chicago as a free agent, he then he then upped his points again for a little bit. Anyway, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to make of that third trade. Uh, I mean. Bernie Nichols was getting old, uh, sports old anyway. And uh, presumably Zidane Sigur was a bit of a prospect. Though he was drafted really low, so maybe not. But yeah, um, he was quite, well, he was 23 when it happened. So I don't know. I mean, it does seem a little lopsided. On the one side, you have a guy we're talking about his Hall of Fame case. And on the other, you have two guys we're not talking about ever for Hall of Fame. Um, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I do feel like uh, the Messier trade is slightly lopsided for the Rangers, but that could just be because, like you said, Edmonton had a cheap owner. Um, and that last trade, I don't know. It's I mean, you got to wonder at some point, even back then, you got to wonder when the guy's going to fall, like when he's going to hit the cliff, right? Yeah. Totally. When you get into... 30s. There's only so many guys who play until they're 40 or 38 or whatever, so you got to start wondering. So, um, that's his career. Uh, the big thing with Bernie Nichols and his main case for the Hall of Fame is that uh, he is one of the eight players in the history of the NHL to score 70 goals in a season. 
And he's one of five players to score 150 points in a single season. And those five players being Gretzky, Lemieux, Esposito, and Iserman are the other four. Um, so that, you know, that is the kind of thing that prompted that phone call I was talking about at the beginning of the show. Um, where someone was like, I can't believe Bernie Nichols is, you know, not in the Hall of Fame because they watched him that year. Um, but it's worth noting that Bernie Nichols was second on his team in scoring when he scored 150 points to, of course, Wayne Gretzky. And Wayne Gretzky played one less game and still managed to score 18 more points than Bernie Nichols. So that's something to think about. Um, but yeah, he led the team in goals by 16. He had 16 more than Wayne Gretzky. However, uh, if we go to the league that year, he was, I believe he led the league in goals that year, but I'm not 100% sure. Oh, no, he didn't. Lemieux scored 85. So in Lemieux, in Nichols' crazy season, he was second He was second in goals in the league, uh, 15 behind the league leader. Uh, he was fifth in assists somehow, because that's the kind of league it was in 1989. <laughs> uh, he was literally... Literally 34 points off the league lead in assists, despite wow. scoring 80 assists. That's crazy. And then he had 150 points, of course, and he was fourth. Man. Lemieux had 199. Gretzky had 168. Eisenman had 155. And then Rob Brown is fifth with 115. Man. Rob Brown, there's a name you do not hear very often. No, it's true. It's, uh, he used to be uh, used to be a very popular player to sort of acquire at the deadline yeah. memory serves like presumably oh, because Rob Brown that guy can play with you like he, he yeah. can always be that right one well he had that one season goal. where he scored 115 points when he was playing with Lemieux right so he's I know, do it I again know. yeah anyway uh so putting putting that's I mean listen it's a great season he scored an absolute ton of points but the fact is he wasn't anywhere near the best player in the, the best forward in the league despite yeah. scoring 150 points um not even the best player on his team and uh, it's crazy. Uh, it was so wide open that you could score 150 points and not even be the highest scoring player on your own team, which is just, I, I, I mean, it's crazy. It's just nuts. My question is, what the hell, like, what happened to Luke Robitaille? He only, he didn't even have 100 points. He's playing with them, presumably the three of them on the same line. Well, you left know. wingers tradi traditionally, I don't know what it is, but left wingers traditionally get fewer points than right yeah. wingers and, and centers. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know why that is. It's very strange, but um, seems to be like a pattern that's been in hockey yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I don't. I I find that like the it's one of those seasons that sounds really incredible, and then you like do a tiny bit of research, and you're like, oh, yeah. Still, yeah, very impressive. Yeah, I mean, if anything's going to get him into the hall, it's got to be that, right? I mean, yeah. uh, otherwise, why would you? Um, I looked up that uh, that Messier trade and uh, have an old article from 1991, and a quote from uh, Glenn Sather. After we made, guess, I guess, our final offer a month, month and a half before the playoffs, I knew that if he didn't accept that contract, the only alternative was going to be to trade him. It was very close to $2 million. That's not chicken feed. <laughs> um, and then a media member said that he uh, accused him of being relieved that Messi had turned that down so he wouldn't have to pay him. Uh, and then he uh, he he quoted uh, 
No, I wouldn't agree with that. I think Mark is a tremendous hockey player, but this city can't afford to pay, to pay these kinds of players. <laughs> two million bucks, but it was back in the old days. Two million dollars is a lot of money back then. But I mean, yeah. still. And no um, one, and and not that I Pockington should be defended because, of course, he like really, you know, yeah. Who knows how long the Oilers been. could have been good had he I been think, willing to pay? I think people. we could have won three more cups probably yeah. if they put that team together. But. But in in his defense, nobody could have known that Messier would play as long as he did. You know, no, that's true. But I mean, still, it was like it was almost like him leading them to that ninety cup was basically like, now you got to pay me three million. I was like, there's, dude, I have no money. There's no way. Yeah. To do that. Um, and New York was willing to pay for it the way they're yeah. always willing to pay for it. So, yep. So, uh, um, back to Bernie. Uh, it's also worth noting, like that he. You know, he had this one crazy season. He never made a, um, a, you know, he never made a first or second team all-star. Wow. At the end of a season. And he only was in three all-star games. So it really does go to show. Like he, I mean, listen, he scored a hundred points three times, mm -hmm. but he did do it in the eighties. Um, 150, 112, 100. And, and in those three seasons, he was never good enough to make uh, a, even a second team all-star and he only made three all-star games that I feel like says, you know, I, I'm always very skeptical of, of the voting, but yeah. it does suggest that like, this is a guy, I mean, 90 points, five times is a lot, but this is a guy yeah. who was just not perceived as impactful enough. You know, mm -hmm. his best season came next to Gretzky. His second best season came half next to Gretzky. His third best season, I believe he led his team in points when he scored 100. I'm going to double check that. I believe he led the team in points that year. Mm. Nope, sorry, Marcel Dion. <laughs> sorry, Bernie. 26 points beside. Yeah, so there you go. Like he was always on, you know, he was riding shotgun to people. Yeah. And even though he's nominally a center, he was often the winger for uh, or these players, or he played a lot of time on the power play, one or the other. Um, I was not watching at the time, so I don't know for sure, but I know he played on Gretzky's wing. So um, well, maybe then we're starting to think of him as like the Gary Suter of forwards. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Playing with Hall of Famers, therefore his stats are either inflated or we'll never know if he was able to sort of do it on his own. Like completely just, I'm Bernie Nichols. I'm the top guy on this first line. I'm still going to get my 100 points. He did lead. I believe he led the Blackhawks in scoring one year when he was on them when he was in his mid-30s. Okay. Um, but like that was like, you know, that was like post it was post Larmer, if not post Ronick. Um, okay. And uh, I think he did. Maybe he didn't. Um, no, I think he did. Uh, maybe 96. Is that what I'm thinking of? I feel like one year he did. Um, there was some teammate. No, he didn't. All right. I really shouldn't have said that then. There, I definitely, definitely led at least one team in scoring at some point in his career because I do, I do, as we talked about before, I do like hockey quizzes on this online quiz site called sporkle.com and like he is an answer for team leaders in the 90s i just don't remember as the blackhawks or the devils or even even the he was on the sharks when they were bad so maybe maybe he led the sharks one year um mm -hmm. when he was old but anyway um but like this is near the tail end of his career when he was really this uh you know dynamic offensive player it was he was playing shotgun uh, he's he's riding shotgun rather to uh, Gretzky and Dion and uh, and also of course Robert he played with Robotai for a while as well so and then of course he doesn't have a great 
Um, he doesn't. His great teams. He doesn't have a lot of success either. He was a top three forward on a bunch of teams that made it to the semifinals: the Oilers in '92, the Devils in '94, the Blackhawks in '95. Mm-hmm. And he was only a role player on uh, the '85 uh, Canadians uh, Canadian team that failed to win a World Championship gold medal. So, I I mean, for me, it's just an, it's an obvious no. Um, I don't know how you feel. I I feel like if somebody wanted to try to make the case, I'd probably listen for a bit, but not as strongly as I would have with some of our previous episodes. Um, I think his playoff stats being so close to what he was able to do in the regular season yeah. uh, helped him out a lot. Um, yeah, absolutely. Makes his case stronger, but I think the the overall sort of recognition that he piled up points playing with elite players and that that's sort of what got him to have these potentially hall of fame numbers yeah um has has a lot to do with it um you know and and it's pretty obvious too that you know if you're riding shotgun with gretzky and dion and like these incredible players you know you should you should be putting up some pretty significant points he was still a point a game player yeah, with you know Chicago the, and yeah. and once he got to San Jose, he was ending near nearing the end of his career in the NHL. It changed a lot, so it wasn't even possible. But um, it just it, it it just doesn't. He doesn't scream Hall of Famer. He doesn't have any of the big trophies. It always seemed like if he, you know, he was probably in the seasons where he went bonkers. You know, 150 points. Uh, you know, some other seasons where he accumulated over 100 points. It's like. Yeah, but you're with that guy. Like, yeah, yeah. It 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 just sort of it's like you know there's like a let's say at least a 25 point balloon over what you would have been capable with without that guy, and that's being pretty generous. I would say with yeah. Gretzky, it's got to be like a 50 point balloon. Yeah. Um, so you got to take those numbers with a grain of salt, and I think that's why he's not in. If he um, if he had scored 150 points and he was a leading scorer on his team. Mm-hmm. And like the right. next guy had like it's like think about like Turgeon for example like Turgeon yeah. scored 132 points one season, and like the next guy on the team had like 80 something or something like yeah. that. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. But like, or like, or Kent Nilsson who's when he scored 130 something points, and the next guy had a, like I don't know 100 or 90 or something. Like, yeah. there's guys like that. That's more impressive to me than I scored 150 points, but I was on Gretzky's wing. Yeah, you know, or I scored 100. What did I say? 100, but I was on Dion's wing or mm-hmm. or whatever. Or like for half the year, I scored 112. I was on Gretzky's wing. And then the other half, presumably, I was playing with. I don't know who he was playing with, but he actually he scored way more of his points that year yeah. for the Kings rather than the Rangers. Anyway, um, you know, he was like, what's his, like, there's a huge drop off. There's, so you look at like the trade, right? That first trade. Uh-huh. He's a, um, on the, on the Lakers that year, um, He's a one point six points per game with Gretzky. He goes to New York. He's one point one six. Yeah, it's a huge difference. It's yeah. off. As you said, you said fifty. It's not that you weren't that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and that that uh, I just I think like if he had done these things without playing with Hall of Fame centers, I would be like, I think this guy probably you know he had he had enough good seasons that I think he belongs, but he didn't. You didn't with Hall of Fame centers, including depending on your belief, either the best 
hockey player or best forward or 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 center or whatever in the history of the sport. Yeah. So, you know, I I mean, I just I I I just I look at that and I go like, well, you know, if if your center had been like, I don't know, did Barry Peterson play center? I believe he was a winger, but I'm not 100 okay. on that. So who's this? I'm trying to think of an 80s center who's like less. If your center had been Mike Rogers or your center had been like there's Mike Bullard or uh, you know guys like that, instead, probably not scoring 150 points. I would say he definitely was not scoring 150 points of those. Yeah, um, those guys. So I'm I'm good with him not being in personally because I just yeah. I think there's some inflation there. All right. Up next, we have uh, Joe Sackick, who played for a very long time, 20 seasons, from 88 to 2009, and who has all sorts of – he's on a bunch of leaderboards. He's 15th all-time in goals. He's 13th all-time in assists. He's 9th all-time in points. Um, he's 22nd all-time in point shares. He played almost 22 minutes a game uh, for the second half of his career. Who knows what he was playing the first half? Um. He is 15th all-time in assists per game and 11th all-time in points per game. And despite playing, you know, a substantial chunk of his career in the clutch and grab era, he's still 11th in points per game. Wow. Yeah, he was good. It turns <laughs> out Joe Sackett was good. Yep. Uh, he's so good that, like, he makes me, like, he, he every time he or Forsberg come up, I have to, like, have to, like, sort of, like, examine myself because Forsberg's my favorite player and I tend to get really excited about him and and then I'm like oh but Joe Sackett played more than Forsberg did like I don't mean in games of course he did but like in ice time yeah and so I'm always like oh you gotta temper your enthusiasm there Riley because like Sackett may have been better I mean that that's a I'm not saying that for sure because I definitely have the opposite opinion but like he definitely has a resume that might suggest it um yeah, the, the thing with Sackick is too, like he was so good that he was he was basically making Forsberg possibly the greatest second line center who's ever lived. Yeah, yeah, Forsberg yeah, would play behind him until very, very late in Sackick's career, and then Forsberg started to do the number one sort of duty on the team. And because Sackick was amazing, and then the last like one or two seasons sort of fell off a cliff, but he, he also you know hurt his hand in a snowblower and had a whole bunch of other things happen. Um, but he eventually sort of slowed down but it was only at the very tail end, yeah. um, you know, which is where I assume his non-quality season comes from. Um, yeah, yeah and, last year, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, you know, Forsberg at that point was still in, like, his pure, like, dominant, still in his prime. He wasn't anywhere I near I don't think there. Forsberg was on the uh, abs anymore at that point. I think he, he might not have been um, Yeah, maybe not, yeah. 2009, I think, I think Forsberg was retired. Yeah, I was retired or with uh, would have been or or, or with the Predators or the Flyers yeah. or whoever. Yeah, yeah. But like he yeah, also he had those like comebacks and stuff. Yeah. Um. So somehow, presumably because I don't know, I honestly don't know. Was was Sackett, I don't know. It wasn't his height. For some reason, Joe Sackett was drafted fifteenth overall. <laughs> um, and this is one of the great like, you know, what ifs for two-thirds of the NHL mm -hmm. because literally two-thirds because there were 21 teams at the time and 14 of them passed on him. Yeah. Um, somehow he fell to 15th. Um, uh, Stefan Kintel was drafted immediately ahead of him 
and then someone right before that, Dean Chinaweth, who I don't, I've never heard of, and Keith yeah. Osborne, who I've never heard of, and then before yeah. that, Yves Racine, uh, Jay Moore, who I thought was a comedian, um, <laughs> lots of guys, like guys who, who, one guy who scored literally one assist, one point in his wow. career was drafted eighth. Another guy draft, scored four points. So some people screwed up. Um, wait, wait. Uh, the guy who was drafted eighth was Jimmy Wade, his goaltender. So if only oh, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. See, this is what happens <laughs> when you just look at points. Yeah. You should look at other things too. That that makes more sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I mean, other, other than other than Turgeon and Shanahan ahead of him, I you don't see how anybody could have been drafted ahead of him. But yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes just – you just don't know how good somebody's going to be. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's very, and I, I think at that point, drafting was a very inexact science. The top absolutely. like three or four, you knew they were going to be in the NHL. You knew they were probably going to have a solid career, but you didn't know how great they were going to be. Unless yeah. it's like a Gretzky, Lindrosa, those types in, of guys. In my defense, mm -hmm. uh, Sackick scored um, a fair amount of points for his WHL team prior to his draft year. 133. I don't know what that he went in the next year. He went and scored 160. So after after they drafted him, they knew they were yeah. they'd yeah. done the right thing. Um, uh -huh. But like, you know, he uh, it's not like he was. It's interesting that he fell as low as he did. I feel like just yeah. because I like you said, I agree with you. It was an exact science. And certainly there would have been a lot of these defensemen who were drafted ahead of him. There yeah. was probably lots of talking, you know, it's there's been, I feel like there's been an old school, and it's not exactly wrong. The idea you want that franchise defenseman, yeah. And if it's between a franchise defenseman and a franchise forward, and and you think both of them, it's more potential, and you're really not sure. You you know, traditionally, I think a lot of people wanted the defenseman, and that's yeah. not a crazy idea, you know. Especially if they're going to play 30 minutes a game. Yeah. It's just it's just interesting because you know he's he he did lead the draft. And, he has like almost 300 more points than Shanahan did even. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Shanahan played 150 games more than Sackick did. Man. So, uh, you know, he, he was, yeah. he's hands down. I mean, it's yeah. Sackick. Obviously he's yeah. hands down the best player in the draft, but yeah, he's hands down the best player in the draft. And Shanahan, yeah. we we've talked about, he's great. Yeah. Still Sackick yeah. is like significantly better than Shanahan. Oh, absolutely. And then there's, you know, we've got Shanahan, Turgeon, uh, John LeClaire, Eric Desjardins. Look, we've got some very nice players in that draft. Matthew Schneider, Theo Fleury. Look, some really good, useful players who scored some big-time points in the NHL. But Sackick, like, you know, he to me, he's the type of guy that even if I were doing my very strict Hall of Fame where I only put in the really elite guys, he's, he's still a slam dunk. Yeah. To, to be put in with... Guys like Gretzky, Lemieux, uh, like all the elite guys, he's he's still a slam dunk to be included in that group. Like he he was lights out, and given the era in which he played, his point totals are like wow. I can't believe he was able yeah. to do that. He is yeah. almost top ten in points per game, despite the fact that he played a significant chunk of his career in mm -hmm. a very low court. That that to me says like everything yeah. you need to know. Like he exactly. just he was really, um, so uh. He um he played for a lot of games. So nineteen players played total 150 games between eighty eight and two thousand nine. Um he is third in goals, but he's first in assistant points. 
And I believe he's second in goals per game, assists per game, points per game, and offensive point shares to probably Yager. That would be my guess. I didn't write that down, would be my guess. but I think Yager. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, 98 points per season on average, which is very high given when he played, part of when he played. Yeah. Um, his peak, 109 points per season back, but that was, of course, the early 90s when it was still uh, high scoring. Um, he is on playoff leaderboards. He's seventh all time in goals, 21st all time in assists, and eighth all time in playoff points. Wow. Despite, he's also a minus two in the playoffs, which is really weird, but presumably that's from like being on the Nordiques. I don't know. I should look that up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and also his last, his last season in Colorado in the playoffs, the, the last year they made the playoffs in Colorado, he was a minus seven. So, wow. That that accounts for the minus. Um, he also was still playing a fair amount for 38. He was nine, 19 minutes a game at 38. So, wow. Yeah. Um, he's also benefited by adjusting uh, for era. Um, well, as you might imagine, he hops up to 100 points per game, per, uh, sorry, yeah. per, per game per season, um, and he is uh, sixth all time in adjusted points. Man. So that's uh, I should look up who that's behind because it's going to be like Gordy Howe um, and not and and Gretzky I guess and and Messier maybe so it's Wayne Gretzky Gordy Howe Yager Messier Francis Sackick top wow. six in the adjusted points man good company yeah yeah so uh, he was good very very uh, good. yeah and he uh, he was never traded of course he played for the same franchise. Um, so the no, no trades to talk about, no, no outrageous trades. Uh, oh, uh, oh, we, we do have an offer sheet to talk about though. Oh, okay. Yeah. The Rangers offer sheeted him at one point That's um, right. to like a ridiculous amount of money at the, at the time. And everybody thought for sure, Colorado was going to take like the five first round picks and just let him go. Cause it was so much money. And then Colorado was like, Nope, we can't do it. We got a match. <laughs> and, uh, so the Rangers tried to use their. Their uh, Wall Street uh, connections to find a massive amount of money to throw at him, but um, I'm going to look up exactly how much it was. Do you remember what season? Like, how old was he at that point? Um, this or like would have been roughly what year? Oh, okay, so like right in the middle, um, smack dab in the middle of his career. Yeah. Nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, so while you're doing that, so the, um, the, the Rangers let uh, let Mark Messier go. Yeah, when he signed with Vancouver, much to my chagrin, my two years as a non-Canuck fan. Um, <laughs> ugh, still pisses me off. I didn't watch hockey for those two years, pretty much except for the like the playoffs. Um, so the New York uh, New York gave Sackick a three-year offer worth twenty-one million dollars, which back at the time was like. Lot. Even the best player in the league was only making four or five, you yeah. know. Um, but that the uh, the sneaky part was that the, uh, the sneaky part of the offer is that his actual annual salary is only two million. The Rangers included a fifteen million dollar signing bonus up front, and that's oh. what they had to match. They, they had, had to match the signing him. bonus. Yeah, they had to pay him seventeen million dollars that one year to keep him in Denver. Jesus. Um, so. Um, Pretty insane. Um, that is pretty insane. 
damn Rangers. I know, eh? They, they forced uh, they forced everyone. It was. Um... <laughs> this is great. You're gonna love this. <laughs> so the the Avs and the Nuggets were building the new arena in Denver at the time, the the Pepsi Center, yeah. and the organization sold off several of the luxury suites. Like they basically sold out the luxury suites to gather up the cash. That's um, and they had a movie in the uh, the like the parent company had a had a held a stake in the movie Air Force One starring Harrison Ford. And the movie was good enough that there was enough money lying around to pay Joe Sackick. So Air that Force One starring Harrison Ford and selling off some uh, some luxury boxes within the arena um, actually ended up having enough money to pay Joe Sackick. And when they did match the offer sheet, uh, they sent a frame pick Nelson for the Democratic Convention. They sent it to the GM and president of the Rangers. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is perfect. <laughs> that Rangers. That is, um, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, I'm glad to know that me going to see Airthorse One in theaters helped contribute to Sackick staying in Colorado. Though. And bring over the Rangers, whom I still hate. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. I saw it too. <laughs> great movie. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, that is it's really funny. Um <laughs> so Sackick won some awards. Uh he won the Hart, he won the Ted Lindsay in the same year, he won the Lady Bing in the same year, he won the Con Smythe. He was also top five in Selkie voting once. Hockey references listed him as a good a very good player for a long time. Um he never had like he had a he had some good years, right? Like he scored 120 points once, I believe. Um though those were in the early Oh no, that was in the middle of the it's impressive because he did it in nineteen ninety-six actually. Um and 118 points once as well. Uh but 100 points like a whole bunch of times. But the thing that's really uh that you know, so that's uh only 14 players have scored 100.6 times. But the thing that's impressive, in addition to the fact that he scored, you know, 50 goals a few times and stuff like that, is how often yeah. he scored, right? Like so he he managed. He played twenty years. He scored fifty points eight of eighteen of those years. Um, he scored twenty goals seventeen of those years. So he was oh. consistent. In addition to having those elite seasons, he was just like reliable. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, he uh, he basically just until that final year when he was hurt. Mm-hmm. He, uh, uh, you know, the last couple of years he didn't quite muster up. Um, you know, his basically his uh, his last two seasons. Um, yeah, he didn't really muster anything up, but like he, uh, you know, he was just, he was good for a really long time. And even when he didn't have an elite year, he still managed to, you know, cause he missed, he, he had some injury trouble in his, uh, mid career. You oh, know, he, missed, he missed a bunch yeah. of games. Um, the fact that he played 20 years and only played 1,378 games tells you he missed, he missed some stuff. Big. Well, the um, thing is too, he was, he was so successful. Uh, in clutch moments when he was playing, yeah. um, you know, he, he the, the year that he won his con Smythe in '96, he had 18 goals, almost tied the Yari Curry and Reggie Leach record of 19. Yeah, um, he bossy won, too, he, I believe. I, I, I still remember 2002. Um, we were both bishops, and I, we probably watched the game together. I would guess. Yeah. Uh, when Canada beat the States for the Olympic gold in Salt Lake City, and I, I still remember that Bob Cole, you know, call when he came down. Oh, Sackick! He scored that huge goal yeah. uh, to kind of put 
not quite out of reach, but like really like, yeah, we're, I think, you know, pretty sure Canada's going to win this, not three, two anymore. It's this massive goal. Yeah. Um, and then uh, when we, you know, when Canada didn't win in 98 in Nagano in Japan, he, he couldn't play. It was him and Korea had been, we went over the Korea injury in the uh, yeah. two episodes. And Gary Suter cross-checked him in the face and he had a concussion, but Sackett couldn't play either. And those yeah. are two guys are like, oh, I would have loved to have that guy in the shootout. That would have been yeah. useful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's it, like when he was there, we did win. So, I mean, it's, you know, he he's a difference-making player and an elite player. At that time, I think you could have made very strong arguments that he was, if he wasn't the best player in the league, you would have been very hard pressed to say that he wasn't one of the top three. Like, I mean, he yeah, was yeah. lights out. You count on him to score goals, pick up assists. He made everyone around him better. Was lethal in the power play with that wrist shot. Like, he was just a great, great hockey player. Yeah, absolutely. And he was like, you know, he, like we mentioned his con Smythe. He, but he also, uh, you know, had some pretty other impressive years. Like one year, the Abs only went to the f- semifinals, and he still led the playoffs in assists despite yeah. the fact that they didn't play the final <laughs> round. So, you know, that's impressive. Um, yeah. You know, he was he was uh, the year that uh, Wall won the Conn Smythe. I mean, yeah. I, I'm not going to, like, relitigate that, but you could definitely argue that Sackick had a case that year as well in 2001. I mean, if, if you were going to give it to a goalie for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I, I, think, um, I think given how... I think given how the game was played back then in 2001 with it being so clutch and grab um, and Roy making many, many, you know, great saves over the course, it's like goalies just sort of seem so important. You know, Jaguar wins it as a, as a, as a runner up. Um, I, I felt like a lot of years teams that made it to the cup, the runner up was being considered like that goalie was being considered every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Like we get votes because goal standing just had become so important because every game was 2-1 so I mean actually you, know, you let in one bad goal and your team <laughs> oh okay here we go I was I saw I saw was regular season numbers that year and I was like wait a minute but I realized it was regular season not playoff <laughs> he had a very yeah so regular season Wall had a 9-13 save percentage that year in 2001 wow that's that, not yeah good. that's not good but yeah. in the playoffs 9-34 which is wow, okay, yeah, there you go. Yeah, which, so, yeah, there's, him, there's channeling a reason old, him channeling the old St. Patrick and uh, yeah, you know, doing his, doing his playoff thing, which he does. Um, anyway, uh, Sakic was also, you know, he had he had he won he won an Olympic gold, he won a world championship, um, he won uh, did he win anything else? I oh, won a world cup, um. Yeah. Oh, he didn't. Sorry, he didn't win a world championship. He almost won a world championship. My apologies, but he did oh. win a world junior. Um, so he has all almost as much as Niedermeyer in terms of those awards, and he was usually playing a central role on all of those teams as well. So I mean, he's just like, I mean, he's just a slam dunk. Like it's just yeah. There's no. Well, what 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 more do you want to say about the guy other than yeah. he was he was easily a top three to five player of his generation. Yeah. And some of the players that played during his generation were like Lemieux, Jagger, yeah. uh, Iserman, Lidstrom. Like, I mean, he's he's up there with those guys. I mean, he's yeah. no matter what Hall of Fame you decide to make, he's in it. Like for sure, he's yeah. in. Absolutely. So that's a segue to uh, other people who deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> we have Cy Denny, um, 
a, a left winger, so it doesn't fit in at all. We're, we're just doing a forward line, right? Got Sackick. I believe Bernie Nichols, when he played on the wing, was a right wing, I think. Um, I don't know for sure, but he was he he shot right, so I uh, assume he was a right wing. Anyway, um, he uh, so his identity, um, basically, uh, it's 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 we've talked about Newsy Lalone and we talked about Joe Malone as like really dominant players in the early days in the NHL. So identity is like the guy who succeeded them as the dominant player in the NHL. So um, he was uh, first in goals at his retirement. He was third in assists, and he was first in points. And he held um, he held those uh, those records um, for uh, three seasons in the case of the points, and five seasons in the case of the goals after he retired. So he was that far enough ahead of the field um, that uh, he. Uh, you know, he was good, basically. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he didn't play enough. He only played um, th- uh, 328 games, which doesn't qualify him for uh, hockey uh, reference leaderboards. But he was also, like, second all-time in goals per game when he retired. And uh, I don't remember if he was also in points. But anyway, he was, yeah, first, first in points. Um, he was very, and second all-time in goals per game, uh, behind the first person by 0.01 goals per game. So, you know, he was basically the best offensive player the league had ever seen who had managed to play 300 games when he retired. So, That's you know, he was, he was good. Um, yeah. But, like, the Undeniably. league was so different. Yeah, the league was so different. You can tell how how, how much the league has changed since Denany, uh, between Denany yeah. and Sackick and, and Nichols, because... He scored so much in relation to his assists that if you like prorate his his per game averages to an 82 game season, he scored 62 games or 62 goals and 84 points per 82 game season, which is just like impossible, right? Yeah. Like it's just like no one will ever do that ever again. But those seasons were you know 24 games. I think that he retired, they were up to 40 games a season, but yeah. at his prime, they were basically 24 games a season. Um, he only had 18 points in 25 games in the playoffs, but the playoffs were really short back then. Uh, they were only yeah. like, there was one round basically prior to the Stanley Cup, and that doesn't include Stanley Cup games. Um, he also had the career playoff goal record for 11 years. So again, <laughs> just dominant. <laughs> you know, he retired in 29, and he had the playoff goal record for 38. Sorry. <laughs> get to his adjusted stats though that's great <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah so you can't adjust for error from the 20s it goes crazy but his adjusted 82 game average is 212 points um 98 <laughs> goals per 82 games which of course is absurd that's what happens uh when you adjust for error back then when they had like seven guys on a roster and like you know uh there were no forward passes for half the time and all that stuff um <laughs> But uh, yeah, he was a uh, he was very good. Um, he was, you know, I think you could you could make arguments uh, that he was for a little while. He was certainly the best player in the NHL forward, and you could make arguments. I'm not saying they're right that he was the best player of this era. I I I for whatever reason I sort of defer to uh, Newsy. Um, yeah. But like 
because he and had then, that reputation. Yeah, and then like, later on, um, by the end of Denny's career, uh, I believe uh, Morenz and Nell Stewart were both playing. So those guys, and Morenz in particular, would have been um, winning. You know, yeah. he was the guy who was winning the Hart trophies. Um, but uh, but there was definitely a period in the twenties when Denny was probably the best player in the world and at least forward. And um, I don't know, yeah. you know, it's hard to know about defensemen back then. He also had a minor he, he career in the was, NHA. Sorry. He could have had a thing. This is like complete speculation, obviously, but he, he could have had a thing too, where, you know, Morenz and New Zealand alone and these guys, they were like, they're all, you know, known as these really fast skaters. And they probably scored spectacular goals. And he might've just been like a, Trevor Linden, Ron franchise, sort of like I get the job done every time kind of guy where it's like he, there's no flash to his game, but he always seems to score the goal, win the game, you know, like he, he does everything right, piles up points, but he just does it in like a very workmanlike kind of way. And it's like, yeah, but like, you know, that other guy skated around six people before he scored. Be like, yeah, I parked myself in front of the net and then scored like I always do, you know, yeah. or like, well, yeah. uh, like Phil Esposito, like a guy yeah, like yeah. that, just like Phil Esposito put up so many. 20 points he was the most glorious skater on the ice like at any point it's just he, there was no it was a meat and potato sort of i'm gonna get this done type of game you know so maybe yeah. he had a little bit of that in his game it's possible and and to your point like he wasn't like despite the fact that he scored so much he also he only led the league in goals once yeah but he was top 10 nine times you know he was just consistent oh, um yeah. but he was you know like even though he never was given the heart or anything like, and you know, the other awards didn't exist. Um, he was, uh, you know, he, he, he did things that very few other people did. He scored 45, 35 goals, which was a thing that didn't really happen much. Um, he specifically, he, uh, scored 20 goals, seven times, which back in the 1920s was a record. Um, you know, he did stuff like that. He was very consistent. Like I said, he had a brief NHA career, but it wasn't, uh, particularly illustrious as, uh, his last season, I believe, was good, but the first two seasons were not because uh, he was so young. He's he's significantly the the reason he played so long, of course, is because he was significantly younger than like Lalonde and Malone and play, guys like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But you know, he I mean, he did like if you look him up on Hockey Reference, he's got he's you go down to like the leaderboard stuff, and he's just all over the damn place. Um, he yeah. was just really. <laughs> You know, he was he was for nine nine of the twelve seasons he played, he was one of the ten best forwards in the league. Now the league was quite small. Um but still, yeah. But yeah, but for eight of those years he was one of the five best forwards in the league. So yeah. Um and by hockey point share like hockey rents point shares, he was a top five player for six of six seasons, so half his career. So that's pretty good. Um and of course he was also on, on good teams and he scored on those good teams. You know, he won some cups um, and uh, just like he was on some of the same teams as uh, Boucher from last episode and uh, they won a lot. And he, uh, you know, even when they didn't win, he was the leading scorer on these teams. Mostly. Um, I think he won. How many won cups? He won three cups, four cups, something like that. I mean, he just, he was very, very good. And, yeah. uh, he was his entire uh, career very consistently one of it looks like a top five player for basically his entire career. Yeah, um, and and he managed to play longer than some of those other guys, so he had like all the records when he retired. Yeah, was he uh, was he ever traded? Uh, I do not believe he was traded for cash. 
but like wow. uh cash that's a good trade yeah so he <laughs> <laughs> so um he was traded uh for cash uh weirdly um so he was like he was briefly on toronto in the nha and then he was traded for cash to ottawa where he uh basically stayed for the first decade of the nhl's existence and then he was traded to boston at the end of his career for cash as well okay there you go so i don't know how much money they like you know that old the old hockey was like you know mercenary for hire sort of and or or a team just went like um we're running out of money and you're worth a lot of it so we're gonna trade you see you later well also he was not great his last like two years of his no, career well, was not good, good. But, yeah. so they Solo, like whatever I mean, the cash that passed between the bruins and the senators it was probably not a lot of money because he well, he was not he scored three points in 44 games his last season for ottawa he yeah. was done yeah uh, but prior to that he was he was very good and yeah i mean i think honestly like he just you know, he may not have had like the dominance of like someone like Lalone or Malone in their very you know, brief NHL careers or Morens, but like he was on that next tier, I feel like. And yeah, he had the added bonus of playing longer than those early guys. And so having, you know, um, you know, he played until he was 37 or 38. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was, he was a career leader in a bunch of stuff. And I don't know about you, but I, I mean, aside from the fact that I think he just, he scored enough and for, for Stanley cups as well, important player on four yeah. Stanley cups, all that stuff, all that says he's a hall of famer. But also I feel like if you ever were like the career leader in the league and yeah. something like important things like goals and points, yeah. you should probably be in the hockey hall of fame. You I absolutely mean, should. It feels like you should be, you know? Yeah. When, when, when some of your records stand for 11 years, yeah, you're probably, you're probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. His playoff goal record, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so or goals or points? Goals, uh, I think. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, he had a just excellent career, and uh, I mean, unlike defensemen, he's a lot easier to quantify, because we can just see those, yeah, yeah. The, you know, that black ink on a hockey reference, and uh, and also his records, the fact that he was able to, uh, you know, be the career leader in, in a couple different things when he retired and, and held those records for a few years and in some cases yeah. in a decade in another. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, for me, there's just no question. I would agree with that. And I think that like the bigger question is how you get into like, what do you value more? Do you value consistency or, or peak? Right. Because yeah, he's sort of like, a. it's actually funny now that we're talking about him now. I'm like, Oh, th- he would actually have been a good Matt's conversation. Because, yeah, like, he probably would have. Yeah. Yeah. Whoops. Stupid me. Um, because uh, <laughs> because yeah. like here you go. He you consistently consistently scored, you know, um, yeah. among the top leaders in the league. But only once did he ever lead the league in point and uh, goals and points. And uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's, so. it's 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 a it's a statement to the the fact that we get excited by players who score. Um, I don't know if you want to say prettier goals or just, you know, more spec the, the, the way they score, the way they play is more spectacular or flashy. And we tend to, you know, we, we, we tend to love those players more 
I don't know why, but we just do. Yeah. I think it's just it's something, we, it's something that when we see it, we're like, wow, how can that guy do that? Because it's like you've never seen anybody else score a goal that way. Or if you never, you know, you just can't believe how hard he shoots the puck. We sort of romanticize that stuff. Cause like, yeah. It's identity. Like I, you know, I, Marenz, all those guys, they're in every documentary. You've heard about them. Uh, you hear the name bounced around, you know, especially living in Montreal. You hear all those old hockey greats and, you know, you talk about guys and it's like, you just you, you just love that flashy player, you know. Like in in Montreal, Jean Beliveau always heard it as you know uh, you know the ultimate gentleman, uh, this wonderful guy, won so many cups, just like he's revered. But yeah. people had like a love affair with Maurice Richard to the point that it's just like they, they absolutely adored him, and he was the you know flashier goal scoring, the fast player. Just people just loved watching him play. And Bellivo, yeah. you could argue, was more successful as a hockey player. Yeah. But I think people had a, a had a more of a soft spot for the Rocket for the way that he played the game and how flashy he was. Whereas, you know, Bellivo was Mister Consistent, Mister I'm going to go win the cup every year, and you know, like a dominant force. But being yeah. down the wing, or or like Lafleur. Same sort of thing, right? Guy Lafleur, phenomenal player, but he had the hair flying out behind him, the big slapper would skate like the wind. Like people yeah. just love that kind of stuff. And I think that a little bit of why we know who you know New Zealand owned and those guys were, but we don't really know who Sidenity was. Yeah, like, honestly, and, and, until you suggested him, I think I'd only heard his name once before, and I had that's to go, funny. Like, what era was he from? And I mean, he's obviously a great player, and I, yeah. you know, and. I, I've done some extensive digging through hockey history. I should have, you know, read a lot more about him, but it's always about, uh, you know, Marenz and Lalonde and all those guys. And That's fascinating because I've I've definitely heard of him before, but I I also think that some of that just might have been like trivia quizzes, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, you know, both, especially given him and his brother have done stuff, right? So, it would, by the way, Bill wanted to mention his brother's name is Corbett. Um, and uh and like i just you know i know that if i'm doing an early hockey history quiz and especially if we're talking about goals i gotta type in denony because yeah. i'm gonna get one of them but especially Sai yeah. is probably gonna pop up in it and it's one of the names i i try um but i don't yeah. know if i knew about him before i started doing the trivia quizzes i don't know yeah um he, he, i'm pretty sure he's not mentioned in the uh, hockey people's history where that seems crazy. like you know Longer sections on Lalonde and uh, Morenz, uh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's it's interesting to think about that. Also, a senator, right? Like you, we can't. Yep. We can't uh, ignore that. You know, like a franchise that disappeared for a very very long time and That's maybe true, isn't right? regarded yeah. as well as it should be, given the number of cups they won in the 1920s. You know. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, given they were the best team, they should be talked about more, right? Like they were the best yeah, team, basically. Yeah. For a substantial period, will. yeah. All right, so uh, I mean, we know the answers to this, but anyway, to wrap up, Bernie Nichols, <laughs> yay or nay? Nay. Me too. Joe Sackick. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> definitely yes. Yeah, definitely yes. Side identity. Definitely yes. Yeah, moi aussi. Okay, uh, so that's all for us. Uh, we have. We, we've talked about, we're definitely going to be talking about Pavel Burry and Alex McGillney together and yeah. Matt Sundin and who did we decide to go with Matt's? Um, I can't remember. A Swedish player. I just can't remember. It wasn't Nasland. Um, no. Why am I? 
Anyway, somebody. Uh, oh, Alfredson. Matt's and Alfredson. There we go. And then, um, and who was the third of them? Anyway, we have we have some pairings that make more sense than uh, than uh, Sackick and Nichols, and then we'll just tack on old timers, I guess, as we try yeah. to figure out who we'll go we, with. We, we've got we've got Oates in there as well. So, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. So uh, Oates and somebody. Oh, maybe Janney because they they got traded for each other. Exactly. Um, yeah, that was really good, you know. And well, and then we, luckily we don't have to do Hull and Oates. <laughs> the first thing when I looked up Adam Oates the other day that popped up was an old hockey magazine and it had and the cover of the magazine was Hull and Oates and the two of them on the cover and the, the old blues jerseys. I was like, That's oh man. Too bad they didn't put on like wigs and one of them have a mustache. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been amazing. Yeah. Anyway, uh that's all for us this episode, and we hope you enjoyed it and we hope you will tune in again next time. Take care.